Ladies and gentlemen, the tiny DevOps guy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Tiny DevOps Podcast. I am your host, Jonathan Hall. Today, we're going to talk about Friday deployments. I'm excited to have Dave Mango with me today. Hi, Dave. Hey, Jonathan. Glad you're here. Let's talk about Friday deployments and whether it's a good idea or a bad idea or something in the middle, maybe, or maybe there's nuance here that we need to unbury. Uh, before we do that, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us about uh, your experience, uh, who you are, what you do. Sure. Uh, my name is Dave Mango. Like you said, uh, I've been in Silicon Valley doing computer nerd stuff for 20 something years at this point. Uh, I was an architect in infrastructure engineering at Salesforce, uh, designed a lot of the way that Salesforce runs. Even today, I introduced the concept of infrastructure as code there, which was fun. Uh, I went on to run the uh, global engineering SRE organization for SolarWinds, so all of their cloud companies. Uh, and now I mostly work with private equity portfolio companies uh, on their engineering practices. So they can become super valuable and all kinds of stuff for their investors. Uh, but I like to say that I have one of the best jobs in the world in that uh, I sort of get win, win, win. So I get to go in and help make the lives of the engineers better. So they're happier to come to work every day, which makes their executive leadership team happier because their engineers are really happy to come to work and don't have to do lots of manual pushing stuff from here to there, like deploys, like we're going to talk about. <laughs> uh, and when the you know engineers and the leadership are happy, then the investors are happy. So uh, it turns into a win-win-win, which I just don't think there's that many jobs out there where you can uh, you can do that kind of a thing. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. So the the topic today is is Friday deployments, um, and I, I think maybe other deployments too will come up. Um, you wrote an article about this a while back. We'll put the, a link, of course, in the show notes. Um, a couple of years ago, it came out on Hacker Noon, and the title is "Deploy on Fridays or Don't." So, <laughs> I, I guess you just don't care if we deploy on Fridays. Is that what the point is? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, you know, what it all boils down to, I think, is that. Uh, it should be a choice whether you deploy on Fridays or not. And uh, I'm a very firm believer that you should be able to deploy on Fridays. And I don't have any problem with anyone deploying on Fridays. Um, what I wrote that article about was sort of a response to a lot of people sort of shaming people or trying to make them feel bad or explain to them how they're doing it all wrong if they decide that they don't want to deploy on Fridays. And like, to be clear, uh, I'm not talking about moratoriums, uh, things like that. Like moratoriums mean you are not permitted to deploy on Fridays. And my sort of, uh, my disposition is not that you shouldn't be permitted to deploy on Fridays, but that you should choose whether or not you're gonna deploy on Fridays. And there's a lot of us who have done this for a long time who make the choice to not, not so much not deploy on Fridays, but like I have to, if I'm going to deploy on Fridays, it better be for a darn good reason. Uh -huh. And sometimes there's a darn good reason. Yeah. And oftentimes there's not, there's just like, well, it, you know, 
you know, all the things that people uh, talk about and, uh, you know, and the Twitter arguments about giving up 20% of your velocity and uh, you don't trust your tests and you just have to know how to deploy better. And you just, you know, there's the, there's a whole thing about, you know, testing in production, which I guess you and I can also jump into as well. That's a, a very large topic. Um, but, uh, you know, testing in production is necessary. And there are ways to test in production, I will say, more safely as opposed to safely. But the whole point of the thing about Fridays is there's no guarantee that that thing that you push is not going to break something. And so right. that's why it needs to be a choice. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you touch on this in the article. There, there's there's a lot of, I guess we could call it stigma, about not deploying on Friday. Uh, I mean, that, that was part of the reaction, right? You know, um, if you're afraid to deploy on a Friday, there's something wrong with you or your team or your, your tech sucks or or you're, you're, you're not a real uh, high performer yet, whatever sort of uh, no true Scotsman types of arguments you might want to throw out there. Um, <laughs> And I, I think I think we both agree that that's not healthy, even if there might be some bad reasons not to deploy on Friday. And I don't mean bad. That's not the right phrase I want to say. But you know, maybe you want to overcome some of those reasons not to deploy on Friday, but that's still not a reason to be ashamed, or or certainly not to shame other people. Yeah, I mean, most of us I think who have done this for a long time know that every single outage that we've ever had was not an outage that we planned. <laughs> I'm not talking about, you know, planned maintenance or planned downtime. Like yeah. every outage was something that was unexpected. And so, you know, my sort of take is like you you can deploy on Fridays or don't, right? That's that's like the title of the article, but like let's recognize that nobody's, you know, nobody knows when that next outage is going to happen. So if I want to respect my Fridays, you know, maybe I don't deploy. And, and uh, one of the ways I wrote in the article, as I said, mores are not moratoriums, meaning like the culture of our company is to not deploy on Fridays. But that's it. That's the culture of the company. It's not a rule. It's not a you can't do it. Uh, and, you know, and, and people can deploy on Fridays. Like, that's fine if it's, you know, it makes sense. But, you know, a lot of places that I've worked, you know, if it's Friday afternoon at two o'clock or three o'clock and everybody's like already, you know, they've got one foot out the door at that point. Like, do you want to make all these people stay in case some untoward event happens? And like, to be clear, like when I said earlier, like make it a choice. If it's 2.30 on a Friday afternoon and you have to get this thing out the door because there's some reason it has to go out the door then definitely ship on Friday, like if you have to do it. But if it's like, well, it doesn't really matter whether I ship this today or I ship this Monday when I come back, then why would you ship it on Friday? Like there's all <laughs> kinds of things we can do on a Friday. We can yeah. write documentation. We can, you know, train people on stuff. We can do some research. We can do all, there's a ton of things that are available for us to do on Fridays that if I can just say, all right, you know what, I'll just do this Monday, it's no big deal, then let's do it Monday, no big deal. And I, I think, you know, to your point, like I think a lot of the, the backlash that I see, I think is the thing that's unhealthy where people are like, no, you should, you should deploy on Friday. Don't wait till Monday, even though you can, because the, the, 
the fact that you are choosing to wait till Monday means that there's something wrong with your deploy procedure. There's something wrong with your test. There's something you don't have enough of this. And like, I get it. Like, I understand, you know, I read continuous delivery by Humble and Farley. And like, you know, part of their thesis is that if you want to do a deploy, then you write tests. And the more tests that you have, the more confident you confidence you should have in your deploy. So, okay, like it's Friday afternoon. Like you can say, well, you should have more tests because then you'll be more confident in your deploy. And I think that's fine. But like, let's recognize there that nobody is saying that it, there's a hundred percent confidence that nothing bad can happen. It's more confidence. It's not guaranteed a hundred percent confidence. And if I can wait till Monday and it doesn't matter, why would I deploy on Friday? It doesn't make any sense to me. I think you've also struck uh, a, a nice balance between the the other that and the other extreme, which I've I've heard, maybe hear less often, but I've definitely heard it. Which is if you deploy on Fridays, you're also immoral or whatever because you don't respect your employees or you're expecting your employees to work late hours or uh, you're you're stupid because things are going to go wrong every time you deploy on Friday or whatever. You know, but both extremes, I think we can agree. Are, are extremes and, and not really the right approach. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the idea that you don't respect your de employees if you deploy on Friday. So I think, so I, that that kind of thing that you're talking about, I think is what people are, who are who are in the, you know, you must deploy on Fridays every da, da, da. I think that's, that's what they're reacting to. And, and I think the thing that they're reacting to is this idea that you are going to somehow like sort of hamstring the company by not doing that kind of a thing. And like you're, you know, that's where we get into this whole like you're reducing your velocity by 20 percent and, and it's dangerous and it means that there's something fragile because otherwise why would you not deploy on Friday unless there was something fragile and, you know, I <laughs> I'm like, I don't deploy on Fridays because literally saturday and sunday have a special name for them it's called the weekend like there is no nobody ever calls tuesday and wednesday the weekend unless they work in you know retail or something where they right. have crazy hours but uh but you know we we have a special name for those two days and people you know make plans with their friends or their families or whatever to do things on the weekend <laughs> nobody's like Hey, you know, I've got this great Tuesday and Wednesday booked in October to go fishing. Like, <laughs> that's, it's not, you know, does that happen? Yeah. Sure. But like most people talk about the weekend and right. fortunately or unfortunately, Friday comes before the weekend. So Friday actually is a, when people go, people say in their argument, like there's nothing special about Friday. Well, there is something special about Friday. It's the last day before the weekend. And like, we make choices based on the fact that we're gonna be away for 48 hours, not sitting in front of our computers. You know, I, I, one of the things I, I like to point out to people that sometimes they either didn't know or they forget or whatever is Netflix, when they, you know, Chaos Monkey, everybody's like, oh, the Chaos Monkey, it's amazing, you know, and it was an incredible thing. And, you know, the, the launch of Chaos Engineering and, you know, Nora Jones and Casey Rosenthal and all that other stuff, it, it's super cool, but the chaos monkey only ran during business hours. And people like, I don't either don't know or forget that. And they, they're like, oh, you know, you should be resilient to failures at any time. And, 
yeah, you absolutely should be resilient to failures at any time. But the Chaos Monkey only ran during business hours. Yeah, yeah, nobody does a fire drill at 3 o'clock in the morning, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, hopefully not. Uh, <laughs> I guess if you're in a hotel, maybe you want to make sure your guests know how to get out, too. I don't know. Right. Yeah. You, you pull it, so, but they ran during business hours. And it's, for me, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, I can do a deploy on Friday. Sure, but I also know that, you know, for the next two days, no one's going to be in the office. Like, no one's going to want to be in the office. Like, no one's going to be up all weekend, you know, figuring out what happened when we dropped something in the database. Like, so let's let's be cognizant of that. And again, that's being cognizant of it. That doesn't mean you can't do it, because if you need to do it, then do it. And like, if it's Friday morning at 9 a.m., like, go ahead, but who cares? Like, you know, you got the whole day, basically. But it's that Friday afternoon time that, you know, but that's when I, 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 I sort of uh, suggest people exercise caution. Right. I mean, I, I have a general rule of thumb that I follow. I'm, I'm curious if, if you have a, your own take on this, you know, and, and that is if, if I'm deploying code, do I personally have the time to make sure to, 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 to wait for it to deploy, run in production a reasonable amount of time, whatever that is, given the circumstance, and be confident that it's working before my shift ends, whether that's a Friday afternoon or a Tuesday, or maybe I'm working on a Saturday afternoon or something, and you know, am I going to be around for the next three hours in case something explodes? Yeah, well, you, you, I mean, you kind of hit hit the nail on the head. There is that thing about uh, I have to be around for a while after this is, you know, this is deployed because we've all hopefully all of us have had outages where like, you know, you push, everything seems fine. And then in, until it's not right. Right. And that's, <laughs> and that's not necessarily immediate. Um, and the other thing that you kind of said there was like, whether it's a Tuesday, but even on a Tuesday, like how many, let's call it experienced, you know, people it's five o'clock on Tuesday. You have to run out the door because you have, you know, a jujitsu class at five 30 and what's the last thing you do before you put you run out the door? Oh, I'm just gonna push this to production right now because it's five o'clock. I got to be somewhere in thirty minutes. Let's push this to production right now, and then I'm. Who does that? Like, right. Exactly. That? Like, <laughs> well, I know somebody who does that, but no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that that that's that's I think critical is is recognizing just just thinking about what might go wrong, and are you prepared to respond if something does go wrong? And if not you, then somebody on your team. I mean, is, is somebody prepared? W will there be cover? But that's the thing is, you know, what you said that I'll pick pick a, a fight with or whatever is what might go wrong. You, you know, you said think about what might go wrong. I have no idea what might go wrong. I have some ideas about what might go wrong. But again, like nobody, no outages that I've ever been a part of was something that we, you know, we planned. We're like, oh, this is, if I do this, we're going to have a huge outage. Like nobody pushes that. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw Dr. Richard Cooks, uh, who just passed away uh, two weeks ago. So uh, pour one out for Dr. Cook. But uh, his velocity talk uh, was something that kind of changed my sort of way of looking at all of this stuff is uh, he says like an, an incident or an outage or whatever you want to call it. He, I think the phrase he used was uh, each necessary, but only jointly sufficient, meaning like the things that cause an outage. There's no like one single thing that causes the outage. It's a combination of all these things that come together 
and each of them is necessary to come together, but only jointly sufficient. But only when the combination of all those things happen is when we have an incident, right? And if each, if any of those things happen in isolation, that may not have caused an outage, but it's the combination of those factors that uh, that caused the incident. And I don't, he didn't talk about this in the in the talk, but uh, you know, it's like you know. There was like that that uh, aircraft thing that you know some plane that was flying from brazil and then some part on the outside of the plane iced over and then the pilots didn't you know have the right readings and da, 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 and all these things happened as the plane crash it's like there wasn't just one thing it, you know you, there's it's the uh, it's the there's no single root cause right it's not just the fact that the that that instrument iced over it's not like if there's ice on the instrument, plane automatically goes down. Like that's not right. that's not how it works. <laughs> but it was like, oh, you know, that happened, and then this, and then all, and then the plane went down. You know, it's because each of those things is necessary, but only jointly sufficient. And so, you know, we can't know when we're pushing something to production whether that's gonna be the trigger. You know, that pushes any something over the edge and. And it's also, you know, this is why you get into like why we do all the testing or whatever is like because, you know, I don't uh, I I want to like have confidence, be, you know, because I did all these things. But like the all those conditions have to exist in order for me to have the outage. And like I don't you know, and I give the example in the article, which is, uh, you know, I I was building a bunch of. Uh, you know, servers that uh, were sort of the interface between like our front end tier and the database. And because the front end tier was PHP, you know, we didn't want to have like basically PHP just pounding the database into submission because it's like every hit would be like opening up a new database connection. So we have this tier in the middle that's Java, you know, that has persistent database connections. And uh, those things are long lived, uh, you know, they're part of a connection pool. They have, you know, timeouts and all the things that you want to have, like in a proper, you know, resilient sort of setup. Um, and I was replacing the sort of the tier that we had with the brand new shiny, you know, new software, new configuration, whatever. Uh, and so these servers that I was building were, uh, uh, were not in production. That was just building them. They were just they were just there to sit there, you know, until we were like, okay, let's start migrating the traffic from the old servers to the new servers, and then we will, you know, turn off the old servers. Well, when you have so software that uh, that creates a connection pool, it opens up a connection to the database. Well, databases can only handle a certain amount of number of connections. And so what I had essentially, not essentially, what I actually done is I had doubled the number of connections into the database which pushed it over the limit of the number of databases the connection could, you know, the connections the databases could handle. And it caused an outage because like things from the active tier were trying to open up connections because, you know, they time out and recycle and they couldn't anymore, which means we couldn't satisfy production database requests. And that was an outage. Did I know that that was gonna cause an outage? No, and everybody looks back and they go, you know, well, of course, like you should have known that opening up those all those connections would cause that. It's like, well, of course I should have, but just that language right there should have is a counterfactual. It's I know information now that I didn't know then, and 
everything is obvious in hindsight because I have information that didn't exist. I didn't have that information at that time. So that's a counterfactual. And so like this idea that we could sit back and think about something hard enough to know whether or not my production push on a Friday afternoon is going to cause an outage. You can't, you can't know that it's impossible. And that doesn't mean that there's not things that are more risky or less risky. And you know, you, that's a judgment call that you could make. But at the same time, I guarantee you, you know, out of your thousands of listeners, somebody pushed a change that they thought was not risky at all. And it caused an outage. <laughs> like, because you, you can't know it's it's each is necessary, but only jointly sufficient. So how do you decide when it's appropriate or not appropriate? It, it sounds like your default is don't deploy on Friday. But there are times when you'll make make an exception. How do you decide when to make that exception? My, you, you know, heuristic is can this wait or can't this wait? That, that That's kind of what it boils down to. If it can wait, then it'll wait. Mm-hmm. Like, not a be because it can. So what's an example of something? I mean, because I, I can imagine scenarios where can it wait? Yes, it could. But it would be nice if it didn't or, or you know, something like that. How, how do you where do you draw that line? You know, that's your risk tolerance, right? Like, you know, you know, certainly, like I just said, like some things seem simple and then they're not, uh, you know, another thing like replacing an entire the entire tier that talks to the production database, like maybe that's not a good thing for a Friday afternoon, like uh, changing the maximum number of hosts available in an auto scaling group from five to eight, uh, you know, to me, that seems okay. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I can't tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt because if a lot of traffic comes in and now we get to eight hosts that are hitting the database where we only had five hosts hitting the database and the database was already, you know, close to the edge because we weren't monitoring that number, which, you know, now I know to monitor that number, but, you know, I can't know everything. Uh, you know, to me, that sounds okay. You know, all right, so... I already have five things in the auto scaling group. Like I go up to eight, like what, you know, that's something I'd probably feel comfortable with. Yeah. I'd probably feel comfortable with that. But you know, again, like if I don't have to, like, does it matter? You know, are we, our website gets a lot more traffic on Tuesdays than it does on Saturdays and Sundays. So do I, you know, can, can increasing the size of the auto scaling group from five to eight, wait till Monday. Probably. I mean, what's the chances I'm going to need that capacity on the weekend when I have graphs that show me what our traffic looks like? Like, (laughs) Yeah, right, right. You know, does that mean that we're, you know, the New York Times is going to publish a story on us that we didn't know about. And now, you know, we're on the front page of the Sunday, whatever. And and now we got a huge rush of traffic. Oh, I wish we had increased that auto scaling group from five to eight. Like, yeah, okay, <laughs> but these are all counterfactuals, right? It's having information that we didn't have at the time. So, what kinds of responses do you get to this from from the clients you work with? Uh, you go into a new company and you're like, I, I don't know what their policy is. If it's always deploy on Fridays or never deploy on Fridays, or I, I imagine a lot of places they just don't even think about it. It's just kind of whoever feels like pushing the button pushes the button when they feel like it. When you come into the to the to these companies, uh, in in Educate them on this. What kind of responses do you get? Well, I think the fun part of that is uh, people who are deploying anytime they want and like multiple times a day and all those other kinds of things are 
they tend not to be my clients. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I go in and help companies who are having trouble with that, who are, you know, a lot of the things that I get are, uh, you know, our clients won't allow us to, you know, our customers won't allow us to push uh, every day. Like they don't have a, an appetite for that. And, uh, you know, we, you know, it takes two weeks to get stuff out into the staging environment. And then another two weeks after that, before it goes into production, you know, I, I, there's a lot of that. And so, you know, this is what I do with people as I help get them, you know, much more into that. Let, we're going to deploy every day and we're going to get fast feedback. And, you know, the whole idea of, uh, excuse me, small batches, small batch deploys uh, are the things that make things safer. Like it's actually more dangerous to deploy 10,000 things at once than it is to deploy one thing at once because, you know, the blast radius and the interactions. And again, each necessary, but only jointly sufficient. Like I love that we get to talk about Dr. Cook, but, uh, you know, I don't know what's going to be the interaction of all these things that's going to cause a, a production outage. So, you know, I want to limit the number of things that go out so that, you know, I'm, I'm minimizing that. So um, I tend to work with people on that. The other part of that is uh, when people say that whole thing about my clients won't allow me to um, deploy is, uh, is you know, uh, Dr. Mick Kirsten wrote uh, from project to product and he talks about the four flow items in there. So it's like defects, uh, risks, uh, debt, like tech debt and features. But when people tell me they can't deploy on Friday, like not on Friday, they can't deploy like, you know, because their customers won't allow it or don't have a talk. They're talking about features. And I'm like, yeah, but there's other things you can deploy that are not features. And like, are you telling me that you're, you know, let's say it's a, a, a risk, like a security problem. Are you telling me that like your customers can be like, you have a security hole that will uh, allow, you know, some hacker to exfiltrate our data and uh, and and hold it for ransomware and sell it on the market, black market and all that. You're telling me that your customer would say, no, no deploy, like, no, don't patch that. Like, I don't have a risk tolerance for, for you to, like, that's nonsense. Like, nobody's gonna, nobody would ever say that. Like, that's, that's crazy. So, um, you know, it, it's, you know, it's good that you and I are talking about deploys because, uh, you know, I, I think that's important too. like people need to understand that, uh, you know, some of these things that we would deploy or not deploy on Friday, we're not just talking about features. We're talking about, you know, tech debt. We're talking about risks. We're talking about bugs. We're talking about, all, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, you know, we have to make a determination on the, you know, on that Friday or, or whatever, like, is the, is the, as my old boss used to say, is the juice worth the squeeze? Like, am I, you know, is it, is this something that should go out or could go out? And, you know, if, if I have, you know, let's say there's some security hole in, I don't know, make some stupid up like GZIP or whatever, you know, and I, and I've tested it in on the, my, you know, my, my workstation, I've tested it in the integration environment staging environment whatever and you know it's a security hole like yeah i'd probably push that on a friday because i don't want to be exposed all weekend like i don't want to be vulnerable but you know but that you know because there's there's other things that we can deploy on, on a friday and so i work with 
you know, customers or clients or whatever you want to call them. Uh, you know, I work with my clients on making it safe to deploy. And again, like you can hear it in what you and I are talking about. It's like, you should be able to deploy on Friday. You should be able to deploy anytime. You should be able to deploy 24 seven, 365 without having to go to a vice president and getting approval or anything like that. Um, but you know, that doesn't mean that you will just because you can. Right. I, I want the ability to go to the hospital 24 hours a day. That doesn't mean I want to go to the hospital 24 hours a day. <laughs> If, if my hospital closed down every Friday, I think I'd be a little bit upset. <laughs> right. And I, and I think, you know, to extend your metaphor, I, I think that's what a lot of the people who are talking about, you know, what's this nonsense about not deploying on Fridays? That's like the hospital being shut down on Friday because they didn't want to risk hurting a patient or something like that. Right. <laughs> like, well, that's not really, you know, if, yeah, the hospital should be open. And if I need to go in for treatment, I should be able to. And, uh, you know, deploy the deployment window on Friday, let's call it, should be open. Like, mm -hmm. I, I should be able to deploy on Friday. But that doesn't mean that I will necessarily choose to do that. Right. Uh, just out of respect for my colleagues. Yeah. I take a similar approach when it comes to things like code review uh, in, in the sense, like, if, you're, if a team's doing pull requests that, that – you know the four eyes rule um i, I think that they I, I like the culture i like the culture of four eyes but i don't like the rule you know i i, I want i want my developers to be able to merge in an, if, if if they're trying to solve something an emergency situation they shouldn't have to wait till bob's around to review their code to get their fix into production if 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 it comes down to that if you know what i mean that's interesting because there's a lot of compliance stuff around that there, yeah, in certain areas there can be for sure, for sure. Yeah. And in, the, in that case, you just probably need to make sure that two people are on call, uh, so that Bob can review your code to get it into into production uh, in a timely manner. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because uh, I don't know if you've read Deming's Out of the Crisis, but he talks about inspection, uh, and he says that two hundred percent inspection is worse than one hundred percent inspection. And you're like, what? Like, no, I've got more people looking at it. So therefore, you know, my quality will be higher. Right. But he said, basically, if you know that someone else is also going to be looking at this thing for, you know, quality or whatever you want to call it, then you're going to be like, well, if I don't catch it, they will. Right. So you kind of don't look at it quite as much as you would otherwise, because you, you know, there's safety in numbers. Right. But it turns out like, if you know that you're the only person who's standing in between like you know, the, this thing and something awful happening, you're going to look at it a lot more closely because you're the, you're the last line of defense. And so uh, I, I've had clients who were like, oh, well, we require, you know, two reviewers uh, who are experts or whatever. And then we also require a security person and then and there's like all these you know code review that happens uh before a deploy can go out and it turns out like you know at least according to deming that's actually more unsafe than it is safe like because you know because we're dealing with humans here like we're you know we're, we're writing tests like a unit test that's not the same thing the you know the computer is going to do the same thing every time because that's what computers do 
Yeah, I've, I've definitely seen that happen. Um, I think, um, and uh, it's it's one of the strongest arguments I know of for continuous delivery, continuous integration, um, getting <laughs> moving those manual QA uh, regression tests into a te an automated test suite. Because every, every time you throw that thing over the wall, you just like, yeah, maybe it'll come back later. You know, if there's a problem, someone will find it and let me know. And it, it's it's when, when I'm when I'm coaching teams to adopt continuous delivery and deployment. And I'm trying to teach them that when you hit merge, that's final. That goes for the customers. I, I get a lot of pushback on that because it's scary. But one of the things I say is it should be scary. <laughs> you need to you need that that motivation to to be sure that the code you write is is good. Uh, and you know, I, for, speaking for myself, I'm a little I'm always more careful when I know that that merge button means production instead of some review environment or a development branch or something like that. So, uh, at, le at least to that extent, I can completely agree with with uh, Deming's quote. Yeah, and you know that's that's the nice thing about uh, the automated testing, right? Is you you're not relying on the person on the other side of the wall, and that is you know throwing it over the wall. Like you're not relying on them to have woken up at the right time in the morning, or have had their coffee, or have not you know, had an argument with their partner or all those other things that distract humans from being able to do the exact same thing in the exact same way every single time. And, uh, you know, that that's where the automated tests uh, come in. And that doesn't mean that there's no place for exploratory testing, but exploratory testing is not a blocker for being able to get your code into production. Exactly. One thing I've said before, is if if you are afraid to deploy on a Friday, and I, I, want, I want to emphasize the afraid, you know, if you choose not to, but not out of fear, that's a different thing. But if you're afraid to deploy on Friday, use that fear as a motivation to improve your your process. Uh, would you agree with that, or am, am I overstating the fact? That, the, the, am I overstating the, the the statement? Well, I think this, the sentiment is. I think you know, Jez Humble said it, said it a lot. Lots of people have said it. Is like, if it hurts, do it more, right? If you're afraid then you should definitely address that like keep you know that to me that it hurts like that's a that's a pain so if i if i feel pain about that like i should do it more i should do more pushing on a friday but to your point like how do i make it less painful how do i make it less scary and like obviously now we have to work on you know not just you know not just writing more unit tests for the sake of writing more unit tests but more like, what can we do to give us a higher degree of confidence about what we're doing and what we're pushing that makes us more comfortable and that makes it so that we feel like there's less risk, right? Because that's the whole point of testing. We, we said from continuous delivery is to reduce risk. So if you feel like there's pain or, you know, if you feel scared to deploy on Friday, then you should, uh, it's weird to say, right? You should deploy more on Friday. But like, really, what you should do is like, you know, work on eliminating that scariness as much as you possibly can. Like, to your point earlier about, you know, pressing the merge button, like it's you should not eliminate it entirely. Like you shouldn't be like, oh, no, I'm 100 percent confident that when I push this button, nothing could possibly ever go wrong. It's impossible. Like that's there's no <laughs> that's not that that doesn't exist in the real world. Uh but like you can certainly say like, you know, well, 
I don't feel real comfortable about this section of the code because I don't really understand it. And the person who wrote this code left the company three years ago and no one's had the time to get into to look at it. And anyone who has has been like, I don't understand how this even works. You know, you should feel uncomfortable about that. And what can you do to reduce that that uncomfortableness or what can you do to, you know, to reduce that scariness? Like, is it writing some tests around the output of that, you know, that section of the code? Is it we're going to have to sit down and do like a pair programming on this thing, you know, for two days until at least two of us understand how this code works. Like, I don't, you know, who knows what the answer is there, but like, definitely if you have that fear, like you're talking about, I, I think that you should try to address that. And there's no way we'll be able to address that for everything, especially on like a large complex code base. But, you know, we, we have a pretty, we have a, a decent sense of where we feel uncomfortable. Does that mean that that's actually the most dangerous part of the code? Yeah, who knows? Maybe it is, maybe it's not. But like, certainly in terms of what, you know, what you're talking about, uh, people feeling uneasiness to, to push those deploys, I think they, they can address that. Yeah, yeah. You've talked a, a fair amount about testing. What about the other side of, of uh, addressing this? And that is, you know, the observability side and, and the responding to actual to failures that do happen. You know, one, one side is preventing the failures uh, from reaching production. The other is once they're there, because they do happen, responding quickly uh how, how do you how do you address that element of, of, of things yeah that's awesome uh i don't know uh john Ospaugh put out a tweet i think on friday about resilience uh being the ability to respond to um to outages not like preventing outages uh which is uh i thought was pretty awesome um i spent a lot of time like with you know john's crew um, but you know, that, uh, observability and stuff is all a part of your ability to respond to an outage. Right. And so, uh, I worked for a bunch of metrics and monitoring companies that, you know, most of my solar winds things were, were those kinds of things. And, you know, one of the things that I teach my clients is, um, you know, the best kind of monitoring you can have is the ability to find answers to questions that you didn't know that you had. You know, everybody's got their take on what that means in the observability space and, you know, whose tool is the best for that and, and blah, blah, blah. But like, uh, you know, for me, like if let's say I want to know the size of some queue and I didn't know, you know, we didn't have that instrumented before, like how quickly and easy is it to find out how many items are in that queue? Uh, you know, can I push a code change? And then all of a sudden, like I have a graph that shows up with the number of items in that queue. And that is the thing that gives you the ability to respond to um, to outages and fix them more quickly, right? It's uh, it's the ability to uh, you know get that information because all of our uh, incident response is hypothesis driven, right? Like it's rare that we're like, well, this happened, so here's the answer. To, like this happened, I think this is the this is why. Let's do something about that and see if that fixes it. Like, you know, you might be right the first time and that's awesome when you are right the first time, but like, it's all hypothesis driven, but like in order to test the hypothesis, you need to have data. And sometimes we don't have that data already. And so, um, 
so we you know we have to have the ability to get that data and so that's like the observability half of it um the other half of it really is um people's mental models of how the system works and it turns out like in a group everybody has a slightly different mental model of how stuff works and sometimes it's only you know it's it's the wake Jonathan up at three o'clock in the morning because he's the only one who can fix this is because Jonathan happens to have the most complete mental model of how that system works. And other people are like, I have no idea how the database gets that information. Like, I, I just don't know, you know, because their mental models are incomplete. And so um, uh, Richard Cook, I, I, I'm just going to come back to him on purpose. Uh, but, you know, there, there's the whole uh, thing that was in the, uh, the Stella report about above the line and below the line. Uh, you know, and, and I think it below the line stuff is like all of our monitoring, all of our, you know, sending stuff to Prometheus, whatever, all those, all the like nitty gritty, like things that we like, you know, sort of think of as the system. But then the above the line stuff is like the actual models of how it all actually works. Right. Because the system talking to each other, like is just a bunch of bits and bytes moving around on a bunch of wires. That's not the actual system itself. Those are just bits and bytes moving around. It's the construction of those bits and bytes into a thing where this talks to that and that gets information. That's the actual system itself. It's not the electrons are not the system. Uh, and so, uh, you know, having those mental models uh, gives us the ability to respond to things faster, which is why, you know, Google does their dirt exercises and uh Amazon does their game days and, and all the other stuff where they have like these, you know, they induce these failures, like, and uh, see how people respond because people's mental models are incomplete. So, and if you start practicing those things, then you develop a better, better mental model of how the actual thing were. Oh, I had no idea that it was that, you know, old 486 that's under Jonathan's desk that kept the entire production website running and was responsible for billions of dollars that transact through our website every day. Who knew that that was the 486 under Jonathan's desk? Because that was written so long ago at the beginning of the company. You know, I, I think people literally used to tell me that PayPal was run on some like old Perl script and everything at PayPal was built around this like ancient Perl script or whatever. But you know, you have to have a mental model that understands, you know, all those different aspects of it. So that when you have an outage, then you can fix it more quickly because you actually have a, an understanding of how the system works. And then you want to do that with your team, because the more people that understand how the system works, the better you are able to respond and the, the quicker you can uh, you can you can you know get those things back. It's it's funny because you're never going to stop outages like all this stuff about like MTTR, which is uh, you and I could jump into what, how awful the concept of MTTR is, but yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, all this stuff is like, we're going to eliminate failures. Like you won't like, you know, the only systems that don't have any faults are the ones that are turned off and have no electricity and buried under the ground. Like that's, that's it. like, just, you know, entropy, like entropy affects, you know, all of us. So, uh, so yeah, but having the ability to respond is really important. I think every company I've worked at has had that 486, uh, uh, at least the proverbial <laughs> one. It wasn't necessarily literal 486. I do remember recently I was working at an e-commerce company, and it was 
uh, it was probably a little bit newer than a 486. It was probably a, a Pentium 2 or something. But uh, one day, orders stopped coming through, and we're like, what's going on? And someone, we've eventually discovered, oh, that, that server crashed uh, that we forgot even existed. And uh, I don't remember what it did, but it was something critical. <laughs> yeah. Every, a lot of companies have that. They Everyone calls it the legacy system that, like, if it were ever to go down, nobody knows how to bring it back up. You know, it's like, and you put the yellow caution tape around it. So like nobody would go and touch it. And then, and then what, inevitably the data center loses power at some point. Right. And then to bring that system back up, it turns out this other system, it's a strange loop, right? This other system has to be up in order for that system to come up. But the other system requires that system to be up in order for it to come up. So they both have a dependency on each other being up before the other one could come up. And then you're like, oh, no, <laughs> like, we have, you know, this, this is bad. Uh, and it's and that's and that's not even a joke. Like, that's real. Right. I, when I was at first at Salesforce, uh, they were trying to fail over the systems that run Salesforce, like literally run the company uh, from one data center to another. Uh, and it turned out that, you know, the data center that uh, was down or, you know, whatever you want to call it, needed to be up for the other system to come up. And they're like, oh, no, like, <laughs> this isn't going to work. So, like, you know, the first time they tried to run that exercise, I think it took like seven hours, you know, and, you know, eventually it was just a failure because they were like, hey, it turns out this other thing has to be up. And it, it it's not because that's the thing we're trying and so, uh, you know, the first time they tried to do it, it took seven hours. And then the next time they ran through that exercise, I think it took like four hours. And they, you know, they kept doing it until they could fail over the entire thing in like 20 minutes. And part of that is understanding the, the model of how all this stuff actually works and then working around those things in order to make it go faster. And, you know, they just kept getting better, like... Uh, you know, Gene Kim's third way of DevOps, right? Repetition and practice leads to mastery. And so, uh, yeah, so they were able to do that. Great. We've talked quite a bit about deployment and, and related topics. Uh, do you have any recommended resources for anybody who's interested in learning how to do more reliable Friday deployments or anything else we talked about? Well, we mentioned the continuous delivery book a bunch of times. I, I still think it's a classic. Uh, and I, and I, I say that, I think that's the right word to use, right? I, I think it's a classic, meaning uh, it's still very valuable. There's definitely things that have changed in the industry since that book was written. Uh, I think the ability to deploy uh, on, you know, into the ability to do testing in production, which is what a lot of people are, you know, all up in arms about, even though let's be honest for like the vast majority, like well over 99% of people, like the idea, like we're not going to have any pre-production environments and we're just going to test in production because that's the only place that we can be sure. Like, I think that's nonsense. Like I get it when like people like Twitter or, you know, or whatever are saying they do a lot of testing in production because you can't simulate that load or whatever. Like, I get that, like, um, but I'm sure Twitter even does testing before production. They don't just like, you know, well, I wrote it on my laptop. There's no tests. YOLO, press the button and it's, in, you know, that's just, just that's, there's no, there's literally zero chance that that's what really happened. So I, uh, in the same regard that people get 
like a little bit crazy about the Friday deploys and like, oh, you should always be, you know, whatever. And you don't have enough faith in your tech. And like, I think that there's a little bit of overlap between that and like testing in production. Like you should definitely test in production, like feature flags, dark launching, all, all that stuff is really important and great skills to have. But like, that doesn't mean you should throw away all other testing. Like that doesn't right. make any sense. And right. there's a little bit of that, you know, religious zealot kind of like energy to some of this is like, well, 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 Twitter tests in production. So therefore that's what our company should do It's like, well, you have uh, 400 customers, you are running, you know, like you're not Twitter, like, or as we always say to everybody, you're not Google, right? Uh, and like even Twitter and Google don't do no testing because te production is the only place where tests are valid. Like that doesn't make any kind of sense. So uh, I definitely think the continuous delivery book is a great place to start. Great. And how can people get in contact with you if uh, they're interested? I know that you do. I mean, it, maybe if they're working uh, at a company that, uh, how did you put it? Um, owned by private equity or that's not, that's not that, quite the right phrasing. Yeah, I mean, the reason I work with private equity companies is generally that they have a definite appetite for change and making things better, and they want to do it on a time scale that's not, uh, I don't know what, geologic is like maybe the word or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know, private equity companies, at least the ones that I work with, firms generally have like a three to five year investment thesis. Uh, where they want to improve the company and then sell it off for a profit. Uh, so they don't have, you know, forever to figure this stuff out and, and make things go. And so I like working with those, their portfolio companies because they want to make change. They want to get better. And they have a, they have a, a strong driver incentivizing them to go ahead and do that because, you know, they're, what we would you like to call them their investor overlords or whatever <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't want them or, or like around in the portfolio for 14 years that's not that's not part of their thesis and so i love to work with those companies who are serious about making change and want to get better because like we said earlier about the win 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 like i love that i get to go in and help make the lives of engineers better so that they're happier to come to work and they're happier to push code and they feel safer about it and all, and all the other fun stuff. Uh, and so I like working with those kinds of companies because they, they're willing to make those changes and I don't have to sit back and convince, you know, a bunch of EVPs for six months that this DevOps thing actually has legs and, you know, it's a real thing and it's not just a bunch of hippies like talking about, you know, well, if you... If you, you know, pray to the agile gods, you will be benefited with more velocity. Like it's, it's not a bunch of nonsense. Like DevOps is like a real thing. So um, if people are interested in, you know, in getting better, uh, getting good at delivering software, I like to say, um, definitely check me out on Mango Tech. So M-A-N-G-O-T-E-Q-U-E is a play on the fact that my last name is French and I, uh, I am doing tech stuff. Uh, or you can, you know, certainly find me on LinkedIn or, or Twitter, places like that. Great. Well, thanks again, uh, Dave, for coming on. It's been a pleasure, uh, as always. Uh, we've had a couple of these conversations before. First one for this show, but uh, appreciate your uh, your wisdom and your experience. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Great. Well, until next time, 
Cheers, everybody.